from MIT Technology Review. I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today is the future of mobility. In 2011, Mark Andreessen so famously said, software is eating the world. And 10 years later, we're examining how software is eating the car. Consider this. Today's cars have more software in them than mechanical parts. Autonomous vehicles are just one part of the story. But the other is the rapid progression of artificial intelligence and how vehicles are being built. Two words for you. Engineering innovation. My guest is Nan Kochar. Vice President of Automotive and Transportation for Siemens Software. He joined Siemens in 2020 after almost 30 years at Ford Motor Company, where he held a number of positions, including Global Safety Systems Chief Engineer and Executive Technical Leader. This episode of Business Lab is produced in association with Siemens. Welcome, Nand. Thank you, Laurel. It's good to join you. So, Nand, what does the future of mobility look like to you? When you look at the automotive industry, it's going through an unprecedented transformation. Uh, It feels like it's setting itself for next 100 years because the industry has been pretty stable in in a way of technology innovations and has been progressing in a continuous improvement mode, whereas now it is going through a major shift. When we look at some of the trends, like the world population continues to grow, that drives the trends like urbanization, megacity concepts. With those kind of things, cities are getting crowded, and that poses a huge challenge for mobility solutions uh, for people living in the city and, and all over the globe. Now, the future of mobility is going to be multimodal to meet the consumer demands to offer a holistic experience in a frictionless way, which offers comfort, convenience, and safety to the end consumer. Look at a few other trends, sustainability and emissions, which are not just a challenge for the automotive industry, but to the society as a whole. Now, to support sustainability and the consumer trends we just briefly touched on, the future of mobility looks to be connected, autonomous, having a shared mobility, and electrified. So in other words, the CASE as an acronym. The future mobility solutions are also crossing the boundaries of ground and air transportation with solutions like flying cars, uh, VTOLs, vertical takeoff and landing units, drones for transportation of goods. So you can see how the future of mobility of both the people and goods is transforming, and that's what I meant by unprecedented change we are going through. Now, we can talk about all aspects of case, which I just defined. Let's say, start with electrification. What you see in the news all the time, governments banning the sale of ICE vehicles by 2030 in some of the countries when we look at the globe. Then you see huge investments by public and private sector on electrified production systems. As you know, it is projected that 50% of the automotive production will be electrified by 2030. It implies while internal combustion engines will be around, there's going to be a mix of hybrid, 
plug-in hybrids and pure battery electric vehicles coming into the market. So you can see how the trend is transforming and how the, the mobility space is changing as a result of these trends. Now, when we look at the electrification, battery technologies continue to mature and the innovation is at the forefront. Uh, in fact, in a way, you could say innovation is at the highest level in my 30 plus years of career in the automotive world. So when you take a battery electric vehicles, obviously we started from lead acid batteries and the Gen 1 electric vehicles. We moved on to lithium ion based batteries and now moving into solid state batteries and some other new innovations, which we are not even talking about. So as these innovations and battery technologies mature, uh, some of the concerns of the early days of electric vehicles, for example, the range anxiety, um, charging time it takes to charge the batteries, those things are kind of concerns are slowly going away. With investments in charging infrastructures and ability to quickly charge in less than 15 minutes, that is raising the consumer acceptance uh, at a different level. So you see one of the trends on electrification, it's not even a trend, it's becoming more real. You can pick any country, in any country over the globe, there's huge investments. So for us in the U.S., you can see in the West part of the U.S., the infrastructure is already built in place from a charging standpoint. So uh, people are driving from city to city, let's say L.A. to San Francisco, and they are comfortable, are getting comfortable every year. Uh, over over driving uh, with the electrified vehicles. Um, the other trends, everyone wants to be connected. They want to continue from home into the next home, which is their vehicle, uh, any transportation system. And what they want to make sure is whatever they're watching, if they're watching a Netflix movie in the house and they want to continue when they sit in the car, that is the level of connectivity going from a consumer standpoint. Because everyone is carrying the edge device. It could be a phone, could be a, um, a, a computer, and everything is connected even in the vehicle as well as you have in the house. So you see a major trend from a connected standpoint. And I think that's particularly helpful to set the stage that we're not just talking about what we think of as the traditional car. And just for our listeners, CASE is a acronym. So connected cars, autonomous or automated driving, shared and electric. When we think about the auto industry, Nand, and um, even though we are thinking about all of mobility, that shared option really kind of comes in, doesn't it? Because as you mentioned, it could be an electric car, it could be a drone, or it could be a, a different vehicle, especially when we're thinking about um, industrial applications like delivery vehicles, etc., so when we think about the mobility of the future, are you also sort of deconstructing what a vehicle means? I think, Laura, you touched on the point. It's when we talk mobility, it's not about just talking about cars or trucks or SUVs anymore. It's everything is so well connected. And what I said in the opening, one of the things and trends is multimodal mobility. So going from point A to point B, there are several ways of transportation, and consumers over the next decade or so are going to be using more and more of those multimodal. It could be from a taking a train ride up to a certain point, and then using an electric 
bicycle, um, and it could be sharing a taxi after that point to get to the ultimate destination. All these things are driving a major shift and also a major shift in the business models which are getting generated. So it's redefining the entire industry and its ecosystem. And when we talk an ecosystem, it covers not only just the cars and trucks and the traditional way of looking at things, it is redefining the Uber and Lyft business models. For example, those are the shared mobility uh, operations all over the globe, uh, those kind of things as well. So when we do think about cars, or vehicles specifically, it's easy to kind of center our orientation of what the future looks like with the autonomous car. We're not quite there yet. So the fifth level of autonomous driving is, is total viability and full automation. What stage are we at now? And what can we kind of look forward to the next year or two? Yeah, so if you look at the, these are the SAE, Society of Automotive Engineers, levels of definitions. Level one and two is a partial automation. Uh, we are already there by majority of the large-scale OEMs providing their products. Um, that is, you have a automation in terms of the steering and the braking. Uh, good examples could be uh, ADAS features like uh, adaptive cruise control uh, or uh, autonomous emergency braking. Those things are happening, and they have been maturing over the last few years. Uh, the next level is a level three. That's where it gets a little murky. Um, some OEMs are claiming uh, they're already there at level three. Others are cautious about uh, from the safety standards standpoint. That is where level three, where um, system will warn you and then user still has to take over in case of an emergency or whenever the system is not responding well, uh, the user has to take over So at uh, level three. So level three is some companies claiming that we are already at level three and that's in that stage of migration, and it all depends on what country and what company you talk about. But you could say, from a technology standpoint, level three is already there. Then it comes to level four. Level four is that you have to define a design domain, but everything else is working autonomously. So you put some levels of constraints. We have several pilots all over the globe on a level four. From technology standpoint, you could say you have level four running on public roads. Uh, again, I'll use examples in the U.S. In Phoenix, uh, our Waymo has these pilots going of shared ride, uh, and recently they announced they're going to be doing the similar things in uh, San Francisco. You have um, Siemens Mobility Group has been working with uh, Hamburg in Germany, and there's been a lot of collaborations and we've got uh, shared right pilots, and they'll be considered level four that given a constrained environment, but they are working in that arena. So from a technology standpoint, you could say we have the level four uh, working in the um, environment as well. Now, of course, the reason it's not a mass deployment because you have to take into consideration all the other things like the policies and safety standards, for example, for us in uh, uh, U.S., the NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, whenever they declare what is safe and what those standards are, and as things mature, um, you'll see level four will become more and more dominant. Level four is also 
not only in cars and trucks and the public roads, but it's also in the trucking industry uh, that's driving uh, the level four of economy. Um, level five, as you said, is kind of a little bit far away or farther away, I should say. That's where you need uh, even more fail-safe technologies. And again, companies are continuing to make progress on that. But that's where we are in the levels of autonomy today. So could you give me some examples of autonomous vehicles, not just cars, but how will they be integrated into our lives in the next few years? Like, What does that kind of look like as you leave your house one day to go to work? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. And um, you're starting to see the two examples I used in Phoenix and San Francisco, um, how these vehicles are getting integrated into our life. Or the Siemens Mobility Group, the shuttle I talked about in Hamburg, um, so you can already imagine in a given city, the shuttle is being run autonomously. I think there's a pilots going at University of Colorado. Um, so within a school system, that's the boundary, there's shuttles running. Now, just take that a little further. When these things are mature to a level that you will be running robo-taxis. So in other words, you don't have a driver, human driver. Uh, or a safety driver behind these cars, but they are being operated as a fleet. Um, So the business models for companies like Uber and Lyft or whoever else they collaborate with, that's going to change and redefine itself. Uh, So that's a huge shift. As a, a personal front, I would say, you know, for your kids, you need to drop them off to a soccer game. You need to send them to school. People will start to get comfortable over the years that they'll be using those robo-taxes, so it's going to become integrated in our lives. What I really get excited about is as the aging population get restrictions on driving or, or driving conditions, uh, driving late at night, uh, or people who are not able to drive today, this level of autonomy just offers a total freedom to them. And on the human side, that gets me excited and keeps me going on working on technologies because it's a freedom to travel for all. Um, So in a way, I could say it redefines Henry Ford's original vision of providing affordable transportation to everyone, which the company advertised back in 1925, opening the highways to mankind. So you see the level four autonomy will open the highways to mankind in a totally different way and will offer total freedom And that's a huge change and a mega shift from where we are today. I love that idea, the the autonomous vehicle providing autonomy to folks who don't have it currently. That that is really a massive societal shift. Just imagine in our own families, uh, our people uh, who are in that stage that they're not able to drive today. Now you open, you're able to provide them freedom. It takes a burden off of you for going, picking someone up or dropping because you're confident these things are going to work. So that's the societal trend we are talking about. And isn't that interesting because here we are innovating with how vehicles are being developed. And decades ago, Toyota developed the Toyota Way philosophy, which is that iterative process that became crucial to the industry and allowed for the rethinking and remodeling at different times during the the development of the vehicle. How do you think about product development now in 2021? 
Yeah. So one of the things I think you touched on in opening software is eating the world. And we have the same saying, software is eating the car. Um, so when you start talking about software, uh, one word comes to mind from a product development perspective is agile product development. So the word agile or the methodologies have been used in the software world quite extensively for past few years. And the same methodologies are now migrating into agile requirements management, agile product development requirement, and doing changing the concepts of designs into generative designs, as an example. So these are some of the things which are driving. Now, it's not just the software, because software on its own can't deliver the promises we are talking about, autonomous and electrification and shared mobility, et cetera. It has to kind of work hand in hand with the corresponding hardware. And that hardware is becoming more electronics and electrical in the vehicle itself and outside of the vehicle. So now let's go even further. In that hardware and software working together, you have a lot of the embedded software uh, in the vehicle, and that embedded software is also connected to the rest of the infrastructure. So that's when we talk about vehicle-to-vehicle infrastructure or vehicle-to-infrastructure of the city traffic system or the lighting system, as an example. So cars are becoming computers on the wheel. And now one thing comes to mind. When you're going through a major shift like that, you need a new electrical architecture. You need a new vehicle architecture. And these things have to work hand-in-hand with the software piece of it. So what happens as a result of this is complexity just goes through the roof. Automotive business is complex to begin with. But now with all this shift happening, complexity is raised at an enormous level. And that's where I think we come into play from a digitalization perspective that we want to convert complexity into a competitive advantage by offering solutions for digitalization for the automotive industry and its ecosystem. So how is product development accelerated with simulation? Because that is something you need to have when you talk about that added complexity, especially when you're starting to integrate artificial intelligence, right? So simulation, I'm glad you brought that subject. Um, the One of the areas I'm really passionate about for the last 30 plus years. Simulation has become the only way in my mind to solve problems of today and to get the industry ready for tomorrow. And the reason I say that is in examples of autonomous vehicle, if you have to prove an autonomous vehicle to work safely, you'll have to drive billions of miles in a physical test environment. Obviously, that's not possible. That will take enormous number of years. Um, so simulation becomes a critical in solving some of the what we call edge cases, what those autonomous vehicles are going to go through so that you minimize the number of physical tests you will have to run. Majority of the development of autonomous vehicle and the sign-off you can do in a simulation environment. So that's how an extreme example of how simulation is becoming the heart of future product development, not only in the product development, but also in manufacturing and in the service piece of it. Then you go even further. 
within product development design, simulation, and testing aspects of it, simulation again becomes a very important. The test and the simulation have to correlate so the engineers can build their confidence in signing off their vehicles ultimately, right? Or any product for that reason. So you see simulation and software are becoming a central piece of product development. And in my mind, the maybe a strong statement, the only way to go forward. Any company which is not into the simulations uh, will be left behind uh, in my perspective. How does artificial intelligence play into the simulation part of it as well as the, the entire product life cycle? Because now we're talking about not literally, <laughs> there's no drawing board to go back to. If you need to make a change, you tweak it within the simulation and the generative design then follows, correct? Or, or vice versa. But you're constantly making those slight adjustments and then you can just test it again in real time. That That's right. So artificial intelligence, also others call it machine learning, play an important role in our accelerated product development way of doing things. One of the things industry always have challenges in front of it that it has to deliver at the end of the day quality, cost, and the timing. You need to deliver these things to sustain today's business and the future business while you're continuing to innovate, while you bring in new technologies, new vehicle types, etc. So when you look at end-to-end process, what we call is a digital thread, which is a closed loop process uh, from end-to-end concept to design to manufacturing to service in a closed loop manner, uh, I think artificial intelligence plays a big role in that to improve the quality on an ongoing basis and to provide real-time feedback to improve either on the performance or on the quality aspects or optimize for cost. We can chunk this out into several pieces because AI and machine learning, uh, and in some places even IoT, go hand in hand. So let's use a manufacturing example. Today's modern factory, the factory is equipped with so many sensors and which are generating data, even at a machine level or at an assembly level. That data needs to be fed. And in our case, we do it uh, by feeding to the cloud, processing that information and sending the results back so that the decisions can reflect in the next part coming off the line or next car coming off the line as a quality improvement in this example. So you see AI or machine learning is playing such an important role in all three aspects, what we touched on, design, manufacturing, and the service, which is after the part is in use in the public hands, that it plays a key role. So how can AI or machine learning be used with the data that's collected from autonomous vehicles to create safer vehicles? So now we're kind of out of the lab and into the streets. What kind of real-time feedback do you think is going to be possible? Yeah, I think some of this is already being done today uh, for pioneers and the technologies, uh, companies like Tesla, uh, as an example. They're running what's called the ghost mode. uh, That is, vehicles are running on the road and they are collecting data. So they've obviously got a vision systems or perception through the cameras, LIDARs, radars, 
uh, and also they've got all kinds of sensors uh, on the vehicle itself. And that data is being collected in a normal driving conditions. And also in case there is an incident, um, that data gives you an entire picture of what was going on, what speed things were running, what were the surrounding vehicles, what were the weather conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And so you collect that information. So that information is being fed live, or you can send it back to the design communities, and that's how you can understand what algorithms need to be tweaked, what how we need to be modify those based on that information. So there is a continuous improvement in the algorithms and the decision-making through those algorithms, which is all based on AI, um, is continues to improve. What are some other lessons that industries, not automotive, can learn from innovations in mobility, in vehicles? There's lots of lessons. As you know, across industries, there's lots in common, especially in the manufacturing arena, whether you take an aerospace, an automotive, or even a space industry. Um, you can even look at industrial machinery, heavy equipment, or consumer product companies. Um, first, common fundamental is around the technology. We, a lot of times, end up using same or similar technologies, and they form the basis. So, And to be honest, even for automotive, we take learnings uh, from farm equipment, as an example, or heavy equipment industries, because some of those are in a constrained environment, and autonomy and electrification is in those industries equally prevalent. Um, there are other areas of the basics. Let's say put materials engineering. That is common. So lightweighting is always a uh, huge pressure on the automotive industry because in electric vehicles, you want to increase the range. In internal combustion in, uh, engines, you want to increase the fuel economy. And for that, lightweighting is one of the big factors. Uh, so whether it's a composite materials or whether it's any other exotic materials, um, aerospace has the same challenge. They want to make the planes lighter. Now we talked about the software. Again, software in electronics and semiconductor industry, it is predominant. And they've been using it for years, and they are in some leadership positions from a technology perspective. So now today's modern car, the future car, is heavily dependent on um, semiconductors and chips. And you can see the learnings can come from that industry into automotive and some of the learnings, unique things about automotive. It's the most complex from a mass production standpoint. It's very complex business managing the entire supply chain. And our supply chains are global for past so many years, and they're going to continue to be global. Managing all those lessons can be applied across other industries. So you can see there's a lots from a basic materials research into electronics and semiconductors, from software, mass production techniques, supply chains. All these are lessons learned can go back and forth across industries. Yeah, that is really, really interesting, especially when we think about this major shift in the automotive industry, vehicle mobility industry, and how that will trickle down through everyone else as well. I, I touched on the technology itself. Now, when it comes to processes, whether it's digitalization or what we call model-based systems engineering, 
that approach is again applicable across industries. It's not just for automotive. It can apply to many industries. So here we are. What do you see for the future of the mobility industry? Five, 15 years down the line, what do you think we can expect in the consumer market and within the industry itself? Yeah, very good question. Uh, Where we started from, I'll touch on the acronym you expanded on, Connected, Autonomous, Shared Mobility, and Electrified. Those trends are no longer going to be trends in 15 years. We're going to be living through those. Those are going to be realities in my mind in 5 to 15 years. We can chunk this out even further. Uh, let's say in a shorter time frame, five years time frame, the electrification we touched on is going to be very mature. Um, by 2013, as I said, 50% of the automotive production is going to be electrified. For 2030, to hit that number of 50%, that means products need to be out there. A- and we see that. Every major OEM has billions of dollars now invested and have made announcements how many electrified products they're bringing on the road. And every year, that number continues to grow, especially when you take a look at that globally. So it's not a trend just in the developed nations in the Western part of the world or in Europe. Um, You go to countries like China, that trend is even more uh, at a faster pace um, on electrification as an example. Um, Connected, uh, as you can know, that consumer today demands it. They are connected um, through their devices. They're going to expect the same, not only in home, in their hands, in the cell phones, but also in the cars, and that needs to be there. And autonomous, because it's connected, uh, it is going to offer you level of autonomy because vehicles will be connected to the infrastructure, vehicles will be connected to the other vehicles on the road. So the connectedness trend is going to continue to go. Uh, autonomy is an interesting one. As I said, we are already there at a level two, for sure, for a majority of the industry providers, level three by some. And you're going to see in five to 10 years, the level four maturing to a shape that some of the things we touched on in terms of robo-taxis, they're going to be real. And in 15-year time frame, then you could be looking at some of the options, again, in a certain areas and so on, the ability to drive uh, under even a level five type of conditions that could be in the outer years. So I clearly see all of those trends coming into fruition and they make new business models. They allow a lot of technology companies to enter the traditional OEMs. And guess what? The traditional OEMs then have to continue to innovate because they not only have to compete and offer products in the electrified and autonomous range, but they also have to continue to have their current business, which is the internal combustion engines, that be going hand in hand. So current OEMs have even a bigger challenge than a startup companies or the companies which are working only on electrified or only on autonomous. They don't have the legacy stuff coming with that. So you see all these things and we'll have policies uh, and we'll have government standards All those hopefully will be shaping uh, to a point that these things will become real in 5 to 15 year time frame. So much possibility. I can't wait to take a robo-taxi. Thank you very much, Nan, for this fantastic conversation on the Business Lab. Thank you, Laura. Really appreciate it. It's an honor to be talking to you. 
That was Nan Kochar, Vice President of Automotive and Transportation for Siemens Software, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Director of Insights, the custom publishing division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Collective Next. Thanks for listening.